Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning. How are you all doing on this bright spring day? Lots of sunshine lately. Has everyone been enjoying the sunshine? All right, so today we are continuing our contrast series. And so far, we've worked on the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of darkness. Then we kind of went into, in our weakness, God shows himself strong. It's a great opportunity for God to show up strong inside of your life. And then from there, we talked about humility and pride and how the character of Christ is consistent with humility and we as Christ followers should live a humble life. And then we talked about, you know, your talent, your gifting, your charisma is very different than, you know, having just moral character and being grounded in the the word and the principle of God. And then we went to light exposes darkness and evil. And that's kind of set a stage for today's conversation on purity and lust. But I want to keep in mind, as we've worked through this material, we started a few weeks back and we started talking about how tolerance as a definition got hijacked. So the new tolerance now today is no longer just people who agree to disagree, okay? It's if you do not celebrate my ideas with me, you must be an intolerant bigot, which is a little bit off as far as the definition of tolerance is concerned, but that's kind of how they politicized it today. And then the other portion of this is the Bible is the standard for morality and right living. In other words, God is the moral lawgiver. God is the one who creates truth. We as humans cannot have truth apart from God's word. Okay, and then I went to moral relativism where truth becomes very objective or subjective, really. There's no, there's no moral standard. Uh, there's no objective truth. Um, you know, everybody gets to determine their own version of right and wrong. And anytime throughout history that people are left to themselves to determine right and wrong, people suffer. Okay, if you read history. Um, which leads us to today's conversation. And I want to say this, the foundation for today's conversation, the overarching foundation is the love of Christ. So today's conversation starts, is rooted in the love because we know that the gospel, the message of hope is rooted in God's love for all humans. I'm going to start by reading John 3.16, a very popular passage. I'll read through verse 21. It says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world, that he even gave his one and only begotten son, so that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. At the very beginning of this passage, we see God sent Jesus to earth so that you, by believing in Jesus, can gain eternal life. But God sent his son to die for you because he loved you. God didn't send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world. That's to initiate the final judgment of the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to bring salvation, not judgment. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged, 
for this one, there's no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe, okay? So if you're not a Christ follower, you don't believe in Jesus, okay? You've decided to reject him as your personal savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten son of God. The one who's truly unique, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save him. So by rejecting Jesus, you've chosen the path of judgment. You've chosen the path of separation from God. You've chosen the consequence of your choice. How many know you're responsible for your choices? How many know you're not responsible for your neighbor's choices? Could the person sitting next to you tell them you're not responsible for their choices? Look at the other person sitting next to you. You're not responsible for their choices either. You know who's responsible for your choices? Look in the mirror in the morning and say, I am responsible for every choice I make today. Every decision I make is my responsibility, okay? When we talk about sin and we'll get there, the only sin that can't be forgiven is really unbelief. Because if you don't ask for forgiveness, how are you ever gonna receive forgiveness? But if you don't believe that Jesus died for your sin and you don't believe that he's your savior, how are you ever gonna access salvation? Now, this is the judgment that is caused for indictment, the test by which people are judged, the basis for the sentence. The light has come in the world and people love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. Whoever practices truth and does what is right, morally, ethically, spiritually, comes to the light so that his works may be plainly shown to be what they are, accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, and dependence on him. So the message of hope, the message of salvation, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, how he came to earth and died for all of humanity's sin, okay? God's desire and plan is that all humans be saved, that all humans have relationship with the son, Jesus, and that all humans repent of their sin and confess their sin to God so that they can receive forgiveness. The model that Jesus gave us for interacting with our fellow humans, because how many know there's some people out there that are not in relationship with the father today? We're all sons and daughters of God. Some are not in fellowship or relationship with the father. Grace and truth is the model that Jesus gave us in that order. In John chapter eight, at the beginning of the chapter, you can read a story of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery that was grabbed by the Pharisees and taken and thrown at the feet of Jesus. Now, Jesus being the smart guy that he is, he realized very quickly that something was amiss here. Because the Pharisees were appealing to the Old Testament law saying, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She deserves to be stoned. But what was the problem? How many know you don't have adultery by yourself? And it wasn't just the woman who was to be stoned. It was the man and the woman who were participating in the extracurricular activity that were supposed to be stoned in those days. We doing okay? Jesus said, I smell a rat, I mean a trap. (laughs) So Jesus looks at these religious guys who are playing the self-righteous card. And he says, he who is without sin cast the first 
stone. In other words, if you're sinless, you throw the first stone. Now, the only one qualified to throw a stone at her was really Jesus, and he chose not to, which means he activated some grace in her direction. He gave her forgiveness. He forgave her for what he did. But what I want to get to is this. The truth came in the next line when he said, woman, where are your accusers? And they were gone. And then he said to her, go and sin no more. At this point in the conversation, Jesus is calling this daughter out of the life that she was in up to his standard. And he did it by grace and truth. There was love, there was mercy, there was compassion. And through that conversation, he called her up to a higher standard that he wanted her to live in. Are we doing okay so far? So this is the foundation for today's conversation because the gospel's rooted in God's love for humanity. God loves you. So there's grace, there's forgiveness available to us if we've missed the mark, if we messed up. But we have to speak the truth in a way so that people have understanding of what God's design and God's plan for humans is. Now, our mission really, we, we equip the body for everyday discipleship, but really when we come to our, our calling as Christians, we wanna call people up to God's standard. Now, my job isn't to condemn people for their failures and shortcomings. All I wanna do is present the message of hope to them so that they can come up to the standard that God has. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians 6 that they read for us at the beginning in 9 to 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Why is he saying don't fool yourselves? Because people do. How many know you can fool yourself? You can fool your friends, fool your husband or wife. You can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Okay? Those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you habitually live a lifestyle of indulging in sexual sin, worshiping idols, committing adultery, male prostitute, practicing homosexuality, if you're a thief, if you're greedy, if you're a drunkard, if you're abusive, if you cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to understand something. The Bible basically says people who practice sin as a regular lifestyle are not going to go to heaven. How many know, even as Christ's followers, sometimes we sin, we fall down, but we ask for forgiveness, we get back up and we get into the journey. It's the people who continually, I'm going to sin now because I can ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Like, Some people that went out and got blasted and hammered last night drunk, even though the Bible says don't be drunk, right? Uh, uh, You go, you get drunk, but it's okay. I'll go to church and I'll ask for forgiveness tomorrow morning, okay? I don't think that that's what God is calling us to do. But it says this. It says, some of you were once like that, which means how many of you have broken God's law? If you're not raising your hand, we'll have a conversation about the Ten Commandments later. We've all broken God's law, right? All of us have broken God's law. Some of you were once like that, but you're cleansed. We're cleansed if we ask for forgiveness. You're made holy, you're made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So as we go through today's conversation, I want you to foundationally realize that sin is bad because it separates you from God's design and the life that he has planned for you. 
Sin always has consequence. Jesus died to remove the eternal death and separation consequence from your life. For all humans, whether you're in relationship with the Father or not, murder, hatred, lying, stealing, gossip, lack of compassion, overeating, lack of love. For today's context, lust. All of these things are sins. They're all gonna separate you from God. They're all gonna stop you from living your best life. God doesn't want you to participate in sin for another second. So when we look at this, we wanna start calling people up to what God has said because God in his word, the Bible, sets the standard. So let's look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 28. God said, let us make human beings in our image. So how many know that God who created the universe spoke human beings into existence, okay, to be like us, They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in what? His image. He made you to be an image bearer. As sons and daughters of the most high God, he made you to bear his image, his mark in the earth. You represent him here on planet earth. The biggest problem we have in culture today is people deny that God exists. And if God does not exist, they cannot take his image upon their life and start reflecting his glory to the nations. In the image of God, he created them. And then it says this, male and female, he created them. So biblically, when God did creation, he made male and he made female. Then he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along on the ground. Now, biologically at creation, when the earth was perfect before the sin entered in, before the law of sin and death entered in, before the fall, it was supposed to be XX or XY. Now, we know that sometimes it doesn't work out that way, okay? Now we have XO, we have XXY. There's all kinds of genetic variances, but it means that something didn't work out like it was originally created or designed to do so because what happens is as we get further away from the perfection of creation, we have more and more. How many know God did not create disease for humans? He didn't create genetic, I'm gonna call it disorder or disease for kids to have. But as the fall came into effect and the law of sin and death came into effect, we see as we get further away from the perfection of creation, more and more disease is coming on planet Earth and more and more sickness. More and more people are not functioning as they were originally created to. Now, while the Bible does not put humans into sexual categories, and that might be revolutionary to some people, okay, it doesn't. It just says we're sexual. It doesn't start identifying people in sexual categories. It just says you're sexual. And with that, there's temptation, there's lust, there's there's all of those things within that context. But because the culture has now rejected the moral law of the creator God, it affects our identity whether we realize it or not. See, if you're made in the image of God as an image bearer, then you are secure in your identity as a son or a daughter of the most high God, his children outside of our identity in Christ. The culture now today has replaced being an image bearer with the sexual identity that they choose to express themselves with. And what they've done is they've exalted sexual expression above being an image bearer. 
And now the highest form of human expression and identity is their sexual expression. I want to read something to you from Matthew 19 in the Bible about God's design for marriage. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap, this is Jesus, him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, at this time, the Pharisees, they kind of believed that they could divorce their wife for whatever reason. That's why they thought divorce was given. So if she burns the toast, she's not a good wife. Let's divorce her and get another one. Who doesn't burn the toast? And I know that sounds really, but haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, okay, God's design for planet earth and humans, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So the Pharisees come back at Jesus and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Then Jesus makes this statement. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those who God helps. In other words, only people with a special gift to live a single life can endure that. And I'll, and I'll explain this more. Some are born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs by others, and some choose to marry, not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So first thing that we see in this passage that I just read is Jesus places marriage in the purpose of God from the beginning of creation. So God, at the beginning of creation, took male and female, put them together in a marriage covenant so that they could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the intention, okay, at creation. From there... Okay, and, and I'm going to say specifically, you take a biological male and a biological female, okay, and you put them together in a marriage covenant for procreation purposes, okay, and, and within that, now it's to the exclusion of all others. Now there's this dying to self and serving one another. Now there's this doing life together. There's this joining together. There's this one flesh relationship, this union that you have where two people become one entity. Just like it's a reflection of Christ and his relationship to us in the church. The marriage covenant is actually the closest thing we have to Christ and his relationship with the church because Christ sacrificially gave up his life and loved us and laid himself down to serve us so that we could receive forgiveness. Now, Jesus never tried to adapt to the cultural norms, okay, in his conversations. He set the kingdom standard. I mean, even with the eunuchs, he's talking about, he goes, look, some people are born that way without the ability to procreate or with damage to their sexual organs. He said, some people are made that way by someone else. In other words, if you were going to be a, a servant who took care of the royal woman in the court, often they would take away your sex organs so there'd be no hanky-panky in the royal court with the servants and the royal women. And then the third reason, and Jesus kind of adds this list, is the people that choose abstinence for the sake of the kingdom. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, I'll read it to you. 
But I say to the unmarried and the widows, that is a practical matter. It is good if they remain single and entirely devoted to the Lord as I am. But if they do not have sufficient self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than burn with passion. So Paul's even saying, look, if you have the grace to live single, hey, that's great, serve God. But if you don't, it's better to marry than fall into sexual sin, okay? And, and the truth is, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he lived a celibate life. He kept the sexual lust and he kept the sexual desire in check by the power of the Holy Spirit and by gifting from the Father. You knew this, right? <laughs> you guys look at me funny. <laughs> now, marriage is a covenant between a male and a female to form a one flesh union to death. Do we part? And then to the exclusion of all others. And again, I'll just verify, it's not just a sexual union. It's dying to self, serving one another, loving unconditionally, and doing life together, part of it. Now, that leads me to the next part of my conversation because there is sexual expression that happens outside of a marriage covenant, a lot of times the context of this is lust. So these strong sexual desires, okay, um, they're good inside the marriage covenant between a husband and wife if they're married to each other. Okay? They're really bad outside of the covenant of marriage. So you look at fornication or adultery, sex outside of the marriage covenant with someone you're not married to, okay? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. You say food was made for the stomach, the stomach for food. That's true, though. Someday God will do away with both of them. You can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. The Lord cares about our bodies. God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Then he says this. Don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Why? Because when you go with someone that you're not married to, there's this gluing together of two people into one flesh. And then there's a tearing apart. And I'll throw this in for fun. And I'm going to get to Hebrews 13 in a second. But the truth is, anyone that you're sexually active with outside of the marriage covenant, any evil spirit in them has a legal point of entry to enter into you at that point. That's concerning. Okay. Now what happens is, I'll get to Hebrews 13 where it says there's a protection in the covenant relationship of marriage. But watch. Don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united in one. But when a person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So if you're joined to the Lord, you should be one with the Lord. It says run from sexual sin. It doesn't say run up to the line as close to you can get to it and stop. I think another translation says flee sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual sin is put in a special category because it's a sin against your own body and it's gonna weigh heavier on you. Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with the high praise. So honor God with your body. Now, Hebrews 13, four, I said I'd get there. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. There's a protection in the marriage covenant. So if you came to Christ after you were married and your unsaved spouse decides that they're okay to stay with you because you love them and serve them and you have a good marriage, 
there's a protection there. There's no spirits that are gonna transfer because God honors the marriage bed. Now I wanna get to Romans 1 and then I'm gonna try to break this down. In Romans 1.21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. I'm gonna tell you something. You take God out of the equation that leads you to a dark place really quickly. And lots of confusion. Claiming to be wise, <laughs> they became utter fools. Instead, became utter fools. So with all of our wisdom and learning, we became idiots educated fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now catch this. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies and they traded the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator himself who's worthy of eternal praise, amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men and the result of the sin they suffered within themselves was the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful, and invent new ways of sinning and disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Once you understand something, Lust for someone you are not married to, whether same gender or opposite gender, is still lust. Okay. There's no special category here. Lust is lust. And I'm going to give you a for instance right now. I'm a biological male created in the image of God who is attracted to females. I am married to my one and only wife. She's sitting right here in the front row over here, Mary. Okay. Wave at everybody, Mary. All of my sexual expression is within the context of my marriage covenant with my wife. With that established, okay? It does not mean that there is never temptation to stray from the covenant relationship. In simple, simple terms, while I may be attracted to women or have desire for women, whether it's porn, prostitute, teammate, neighbor, random stranger, it doesn't matter who, I don't act out on those impulses because I have a covenant partner that I do life with. I crucify those impulses just like Jesus died and I take them to the cross and I lay down those desires and I do not act out on them. Now, for some of you, that's a really hard conversation because you have a hard time crucifying your flesh. But it makes no difference whether you are attracted to men or whether you're attracted to women or whether you're attracted to kids or whether you're attracted to, it doesn't matter what you're attracted to. God defined human relationship for sex as a man and a woman in the context of marriage, period. 
So any sexual expression outside of the context of the marriage covenant between man and woman is outside of God's design for humans. And we as Christ followers, no matter what we are attracted to, have to crucify those desires outside of that context. And I understand that that's a struggle for some and that's a really hard thing to do. I never said it was easy. I've talked to many people over the years and, and, and I've had friends and you know, as long as I can remember one guy said, I've been attracted to other men. But that attraction doesn't mean that we act out on it. And as a Christ follower, you get into a marriage covenant and you have your sexual expression within the context of that. It's not what we're attracted to. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain this more because Galatians 5 talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust and the fruit of the spirit. 19, it's when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, you list all the fruit of the sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild party, other sins. And he goes back to, let me tell you again, as I have before, if you live this sort of life habitually, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. And then he goes in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith. There's no law against those things, but I want you to get to verse 24 with me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Which means you have to die to your flesh every day and you lay down the works of the flesh and you take up your cross and you start producing the fruit of the Spirit inside of your life. That's how Christ's followers live. But Jesus wants you to be pure, not just in your actions. He wants you to be pure in your thoughts. Romans 14, 12 and 13. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Which means we don't want to trip people up by the way that we live. What does that mean? That means that when you get dressed in the morning or in the evening, or whenever you get dressed, hopefully you get dressed, you cover out the parts that are related to sexual expression because nobody else needs to see that. It's called modesty. Why? Well, they shouldn't look. You're right. But why would you tempt someone to look at something that they have no business seeing? There's two sides to that coin, and we have to keep in mind, the Bible says don't cause someone to stumble. If your brother's struggling with that, why would you put him in temptation's path? If someone tells me they're an alcoholic and they struggle with alcohol, am I gonna take him down to the bar and buy him a couple drinks? I don't think I'm helping him, am I? Oh, come on, you realize this, right? That's not helping the alcoholic if I do that. You realize this. Let me read another one to you. Jesus is talking in Matthew 5. You heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus is addressing the heart of the matter. It's not just the act of adultery. It's the thought of it. 
It's the lust connected because we're not directing our thoughts towards things that are righteous and pure and holy. We're directing our thoughts towards the works of the flesh. So I just stated the alcoholic. I can affirm them in their struggle with alcohol, but I do not want to take them down the street and buy them a couple drinks. I'm not helping them with the problem. When I interact with someone who tells me that they're attracted to children, you would refer to them as a pedophile. I don't affirm them in this attraction. I don't think it's healthy to put innocent children at risk by encouraging them to act out on their desires. The Bible is clear. Sexual expression was placed within the context of the marriage covenant, period. When I interact with someone with body dysphoria like anorexia, they're 50, 60 pounds underweight, dangerously low with their vitals, barely surviving, but they see themselves as fat. I don't think affirming them in their belief, yeah, you're fat, don't eat anymore, is going to help them. I'm not helping them with their condition. Are you understanding this? You see, I want to come alongside them and help them understand their identity in Christ so it's less about your appearance and more about who you've become as a new creation. And the truth is, while it's good to be attracted to your husband or your wife, it's infinitely more important to have a pure heart and clean hands before God. On the same note, when I speak to someone who's gender dysphoric, to people who are uncomfortable with the sex assigned to them biologically at birth, I point them to Jesus, just like I do the alcoholic, just like I do the pedophile, just like I do the anorexic, and anyone else who's struggling with their true identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. See, the message of hope is what allows us to be secure in his love, and it empowers us to overcome temptation and sin, and it stops us from believing the lies about us that the enemy tells us. Ephesians chapter 3 May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with the power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. May you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width, length, height, depth of his love, fully experiencing the amazing endless love and that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled through your entire being to all the fullness of God so that you might have the richest experience of God's presence in your life, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Don't you see? God wants to fill you and flood you with his love. I started with that at the beginning of this conversation. Everything in the gospel is about how much God loves you. And in your brokenness, he still loves you. And I understand some of these conversations are hard to have. I understand that we don't always see ourselves as God sees us. But he wants us to be firm and secure and solid in he loves us. He created us as his sons and daughters. And we can have relationship with him. And if we could just get that down and start walking out our salvation with Christ, start working on this with Christ, 
Some of these other things, the weeds get, they go away. But it doesn't mean that your struggle changes. Look at Paul. Three times I pleaded with God for this to go away, and he did. He said, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. I'll be strong in your weakness. You look to me. It doesn't mean the struggle goes away. It doesn't mean you start changing the way you see yourself instantly. But it means that you can be more secure in who God made you to be, and you can be confident as his son or daughter. Romans 13, chapter uh, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. The commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And he talks about it's more urgent, the day of salvation, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes, put on the shining armor of right living, don't participate in darkness, the wild parties, the drunkenness, the sexual promiscuity, the immoral living, the quarreling, the jealousy. Instead, put your, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You know, if you continue in adultery, you don't love others, you only love yourself. The Bible makes it clear that we can clothe ourselves with the presence of Jesus and avoid our evil desires. That's how God wants us to live because we're Christ followers made in his image so we can reflect his image to the world around us. Young people, you define who that is. Some of you are younger than others. In Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. So if you consider yourself young, you should be an example to all believers in what you say in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Young people, lead the way in purity. Be a light to those around you in the culture. There's a lot of darkness out there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand when you're tempted. He will show you a way out so you can endure. We need to ask God to show us a way out of temptation. No matter what your struggle is, if you're being tempted to do something against God's design, against God's plan for your life, against God's order, against his revealed word, then ask him to show you the way of help. Oftentimes, the hope that he wants to send you is found in the community of believers, your brothers and sisters, and you have conversations with them that are hard, but they can come alongside you and help you in the struggle. Often. Stand up with me. As we come to the table today to partake of communion, the covenant meal, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. Do this in remembrance of him till he returns. And Father, as we have the bread in our hands, I know that there's people in this room that struggle with some of these conversations. Lord, they struggle with who they're attracted to. They struggle with who they are and their identity in you. 
Lord, give them the courage to come to community and have some conversations without fear of rejection. Lord, let them come with an open heart to hear the goodness of God. So, Father, as we have the bread in our hands, we know that your brokenness made a way for us to be made whole. And Lord, help us as a church body, help us as a family of believers to come together. Help us to walk out of the sin and to lay down the shame of our past life. Help us to live right morally, live right in our thoughts, live right in our, in our heart, Lord, with our, our motives. Wash us with your blood. Cleanse us. Restore our minds to health and wholeness so that we could have peace with you in the name of Jesus. So we have the cup, the blood of the new covenant in our hands today. Jesus, your blood changed everything because it made forgiveness available to us humans. And I thank you for every person in the room, Lord. For the one who struggled with porn last night or this morning. For the one who's living in adultery. For those that are practicing fornication. For those whose identity is really confused right now. For people that are hurting, for people that are broken, Lord, I ask that your love will touch each and every one right now and lead them to truth. Lead them to confession. Lead them to mercy and grace. Lead them to freedom from addiction. Lead them to freedom from the enslavement of sin. Let your light shine in our hearts and reveal the goodness of God that we could get the evil out and that we could be image bearers that you made us to be. Strengthen your people today. Give us the moral courage to stand up for what is right despite the darkness around us and live a life of love and compassion and mercy and grace towards others. Ultimately, let your peace rule in our minds and our hearts today the inside to the outside in Jesus name Good morning church Good morning I'm Norm this is my wife Nadine I want to thank Pastor RJ for a very sobering message today. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. I know that many of us uh, are in a struggle or have struggled with lust and impurity in our lives. Does anybody want to raise their hands? That I'm going to raise my hand to that. Anyone else? Join me. And I love your honesty because we shouldn't just raise our hands with comfortable things in church. Because there's no more shame, guilt, nor condemnation. Remember that. In our marriage, in our marriages, we are survivors of my lust and my impurity. But Jesus saved and Jesus changed. And today we're here to speak the truth in love. 
John 16, 9 reminds the world's sin is disbelief in me. Again, all sin is caused by disbelief in Christ and by extension the gospel. If you are living in an unrepentant sin or backsliding in that, you have to ask yourself honestly, what part of the gospel do you not believe in? An experienced gardener looks at dandelions and removes the head because that's what they see above the ground. A mature gardener looks carefully and finds and removes the root to end its ability to live. With lust and impurity, we need to understand to be careful that we don't just focus on the top and try to fix it above the ground and out of our own understanding or fix it with worldly solutions. Whether it's suggestive conversation, a porn or sexual addiction, an inappropriate relationship or inappropriate thoughts, they are all sins of lust, but they are all at the top. Disbelief in Him or who we are in Him, that is the root and that is the deep true cause Paul encourages us in Ephesians to always walk as children of light. We are to live pure and holy lives because of who we are in God. Amen. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquered death for all of us. And by grace and our belief in him, we have been redeemed. There is no, like Norma says and Pastor RJ has said, no shame and conviction when we have been forgiven. Revelations 12.10 says the Holy Spirit gently convicts to bring confession, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. He never brings up past sins already confessed. By contrast, the accuser of the brethren is relentless. He heaps guilt and condemnation on people. And again, Romans 8.1 says it again. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So as you leave here today, our prayer for you is that you know and that you believe that God loves you. And he commands us to love our neighbor as yourself. And every person you meet has the opportunity to live in God's glory. Unfortunately, their shame and their guilt may be holding them back. Again, there is no sin too big for God. So we ask you, as you go out, share the message. Share this message with people who may be shying away from God for this purpose. And we pray that this will minister to your hearts as well. Today, before we close, we'd like to encourage you today to, to come to the front at the end. To join us and the other uh, prayer people in, in prayer for whatever struggle you're going through. Not just necessarily... Uh, the, what we talked about today, but any struggle in your life, come forward, please. Put, a, put aside your pride and your humility. Come forward and ask for prayer. I'd like to leave us with a quote today. It's to, to follow Jesus means self-renunciation, an absolute adherence to him. And therefore, a will dominated by lust can never be allowed to do what it likes. Even momentarily, desire is a buried barrier to follow Jesus, making us sell our heavenly birthright for a mess of pottage and showing that we lack faith in him. It says faith is trusting in the unseen, and lust is based on what we do see. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped now.